Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. Today we've got an amazing guest that's going to be joining us. He's a friend of our ministry and someone who's had a big impact in Divine Renovation in our own story at St. Benedict Parish, uh, Brett Powell, who's who's uh, done a lot around leadership. He has a uh, blog, a podcast, and we'll be talking about a number of aspects around leadership, specifically sort of five ideas uh, around leadership that we might be able to glean from, from Jesus's teaching. In the meantime, I've got two guys who've joining me in studio, two guys who don't normally make it in studio for podcasts, so this is a real treat for me. It's good it to is. see you. AJ Thomas, pastor of uh, Deep Water Church here in Halifax. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. It really is exciting to see you here. I love it when you're able to join us here. Uh, and I love being able to be here. That's awesome. All right, and I've also got Eric Myatt. Dan? Uh, and I understand you got in here through nepotism. Yes, that's right. My brother works for your organization, and I'm that's happy right. to capitalize on that. Uh, Thank you for having so, me. So, so for those who are listening, uh, Nathan, uh, oh, he's, he's our media director here at Divine Renovation Ministry. So he's the one who helps make these podcasts happen. And Nathan is your big brother. That's right. And uh, it just so happens, though, that you happen to find yourself in full-time ministry and have been for many years. Yes, I, I work um, full-time as a, a lay missionary with Catholic Christian Outreach. It's a university student movement. We're dedicated to evangelization on university campuses in Canada, and uh, our goal is to equip leaders to renew the world after they go off into the, the good world. Yeah. Awesome. Because it's, it's great to be with you. It's also great that we get to be here in this new year together. Yeah. New year. I love it. It was well, a great Christmas. <laughs> it was a great Wasn't Christmas. It? Fantastic. Yeah, weather. Got to see the family and uh, spend some quiet time alone and a quiet time with my wife and quiet time with my dog. And there's a lot of quiet despite the fact that the uh, the kids were home, but I locked them in the basement and they screamed down there. And <laughs> again, not as quiet down there, was it? No, no, but I don't go down there. <laughs> Jeez, AJ. I abandoned that domain. It's been a strategic withdrawal in our house to the upper two floors and we've ceded the basement to our children. Well, the funny thing is, of course, parishes all over the world through that that, that Advent season, through the Christmas season, they can be really, really busy. And and so as, as we come off of, of that sort of, that, that I don't want to say hysteria because that, that's overstated, it, but you come out of that, that, that time where everything's been so active in the parish, where you've had to do all sorts of, of masses, you find all sorts of new people come to visit. But for a lot of parishes and for, for a lot of leaders, I think the, you know, as we roll into 2019, it's, it's time for sort of a new start, a chance to, to catch our breath. Do, do either of you guys ever any, have any practices when it comes to like, are there moments in time where you're like, I'm going to start planning forward uh, and, and this is it. And what, what are some of those things? What might they be for you? Yeah, I, I know for me, uh, I try to make it a discipline to actually make sure I take time off uh, between Christmas and New Year's uh, to kind of be rested up and ready to go mm-hmm. uh, for the new year and to make sure that I've, uh, I'm coming into the new year kind of with a full tank. And uh, that's also a, a common time for our uh, church to be kind of re-looking at our vision and focusing in on kind of what are some of the next big hills we're going to charge and next things we're going to tackle. And, and so uh, for me, I find... Uh, maybe I'm wired a little weird, but I find actually the process of working through and thinking through those things is actually uh, energizing and revivifying uh, nice. a- as opposed to sometimes, you know, Christmas, uh, the Christmas season can can be a little bit uh, repetitive, a little bit predictable. Hmm. Uh, you, you tend to be talking about a lot of similar ideas and that sort of thing. And so uh, for me, having that chance to, to actually hmm. look forward to to the future and uh, into a new year in itself is a, is a really energizing thing. That's awesome. Nice. What about you, Eric? You do anything? Uh, any? Any? Are you a planner in that way? 
Yeah, not, no Set particular goals. habits. I mean, the, the big thing coming up for me in this uh, New Year's, I, I get to lead a small group of uh, alumni. As I mentioned, we work on campus. So folks who have just recently graduated to World Youth Day oh, in cool. Panama. So World Youth Day is an international Catholic gathering of young people. Uh, the Pope comes and, and uh, it's an encouragement to all the young people uh, of the, the world to live out their, their Catholic faith with, with zeal and uh, missionary fervor. And so this year, um, Panama happens, uh, World Youth Day happens two or three years in locations kind of all over the world. Um, there was one recently in Brazil um, and there was about three million people, I think, at the closing mass for World Youth Day. It was crazy. It? Just gathered along the beach. Uh, if you Google it, you'll see the, the images. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so you get first, to go and be uh, among the millions of people. Yes. And, and this is this your first World Youth Day? No. Uh, I, my first World Youth Day was in Toronto. Uh, it, was, it was hosted in, uh, here in Canada in 2002. And I was among about 300 or so folks that came from my hometown, he, uh, Halifax. And uh, it was an amazing experience for me. Um, it was kind of the first time that I realized that young people were into this thing <laughs> called mm. faith. And it was a real exposure, I guess, experience uh, for me to the, the wider church. And uh, I didn't realize um, that it was bigger than, you know, my Sunday experience in my hometown and my, my parish. Right. So it really opened my eyes to the How possibility. How did you end up going? Was, were, you, were you connected? Like, was it a parish that helped you get there? Was it a youth group? What, what? So, I mean, we mentioned my, my brother, he was going, uh, my sister, I was going. Your, I had your a friend, big brother? My big brother. The one who works right. for Divine Renovation that's Ministry? Right. Who let that guy's in. been a positive influence in me. That's <laughs> totally. all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, he was going. I had a friend going. So I thought, you know, let, let's give this this a shot. It should be fun. And yeah, it was there among, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were at this thing. And a million people came to uh, the closing mass on that particular World Youth Day. And I thought, boy, there's something to this. And that mm. kind of started my journey looking more into faith, uh, how I could live this out, how this could be possible. So it's big for me. So I'm looking forward to, to Panama for that to be that for so many people that come and for us, the small group that's going to uh, um, to experience ourselves. So that's be awesome. Yeah. Very you cool. have some folks who are coming with you who this will be their first World Youth Day? Yes, for sure. Yeah, these are are people who have been involved on campus with, with CCO, Catholic Christian Outreach. Um, and they have varying experience with the movement. Um, uh, but yeah, for many of them, it'll be, it'll be the first go at something like this. So it'll be cool. So let's say they have kind of that uh, epiphany moment that you had in Toronto. Uh, how do you, how do you follow up with them on that? Like what's the, what's how do you take that and turn that from just excitement and, and energy and motivation into the kind of action and development? Yeah, I was kind of, uh, I'm not sure if a tag along is the right thing in Toronto, but uh, I definitely was in it, you know, for the social aspect. Um, us going to Panama this time around, we're going with folks who have been really involved on, on campus, who have maybe experienced our, our conference. We, we host a big conference every year, um, who have experienced Christ in a per- personal way. And we're going um, a little bit on, on mission, kind of, because there's many of folks who were like me in 2002 that come. And so we're hosting some of the stages, some of the morning sessions at World Youth Day. And our real hope is to introduce folks to, to Jesus, to, mm-hmm. to um, help them deepen perhaps their uh, experience of him. Or like I was in Toronto back in 2002, I'm just kind of long for the ride. What is this all even about? 
And so we're going to be uh, helping facilitate, hopefully, in various ways throughout World Youth Day, that experience for, for others. So that's really the hope of our, our little cool. mission team as we uh, cool. go and kind of help out at World Youth Day. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so uh, obviously our ministry, our, our um, the Vibrant Innovation Ministry, we, we, we're cyclical in terms of the calendar year. So that's our budget year too, right? So so I feel like we're, we're, we're starting this whole new year with this whole blank slate. Uh, and it, it gets exciting when I think of all the opportunities that are ahead of us. Uh, there's a few conferences coming up this year that I'm excited that we'll, we'll be doing. Uh, I, won't, I don't want to, they're not all public yet, so I'm not going to share all of the news, uh, but we'll, we'll be in Europe a few times, I think. And uh, it's, it's going to be great for, for, for impact in that area. Um, but I have a question for, for you, AJ, because I think one of the things that, that, um, that when I think of our fiscal year turning over, I'm just thinking about parishes, churches, you've got a church. When, when it comes to, to new fiscal years and new, new challenges and growth, what are some of the things that you do in terms of trying to get people motivated to, to start giving and be part of, of a new year of ministry? Yeah, well, I mean, we, uh, we preach about it, we talk about it, we teach on uh, giving, we present it uh, as not just, a, you know, we've got bills to pay and so cough up the money but speak of the way it helps us in our own uh, development as disciples of Christ and how, you know, when we call people to give, it's not because we need the money, it's because they need to give. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's a, a spiritual discipline that's healthy. And, and uh, so this year, actually, we're trying, trying something that we've never done before uh, called the 90-Day Tithing Challenge. And we're going to lay out uh, for people the, the call to tithing and, and uh, the need to give, again, in terms of for our own spiritual development and invite people to, to full-on tithe, not just, you know, give a little, but give 10%, tithe 10% of their income for, for 90 days. Uh, and if at the end of that 90 days they don't feel uh, like their spiritual life is in a better place or they feel like, you know, financially they're now shipwrecked or whatever else, if they think, man, that was a mistake, uh, we're going to return all that money to them. Uh, and, and the reason we want to do it that way is to try to drive home this idea that it's not about us getting the money, it's about how important and how valuable and how beneficial it is uh, to give. And uh, it's interesting if you look in Scripture, there's a lot of warnings uh, against, you know, kind of playing fast and loose with God and, and kind of testing him and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but there's this one passage where when it comes to giving, he says, go ahead, test me. Right? Bring a tithe into the storehouse and test me. See if I won't pour out a blessing on you. And so we're trying to, to put legs to that and just say, all right, there's a chance to give it a shot and see what you think and see how, uh, see how it works. We've never done it before. I'm not sure how it'll work, but I have some friends uh, in ministry who've done similar things. And uh, one, one gentleman, he's been a pastor for at least 30 years, uh, and said he's done this in numerous churches that he served and uh, extended that offer to people numerous times. And never once has he ever had someone come back uh, and say, all right, that was a mistake. We need our money back. Um, they always come back talking about how, uh, as we always say, right, you, the 90 goes further than the 100, right? The 90% you keep when you give 10% goes further than the 100% did. God's kind of bad at math. And uh, somehow he makes 90% be worth more than Man, 100. That need to and, give, uh, eh? that, that blessing to give is so rich and true. It, like it's, it's so, uh, it, money has such a hold on us, right? And people, people don't think they're materialistic or they don't think their trust is in their money. They don't think that they're, they think their peace comes from God, not their money. And as soon as you ask them to part with a, a meaningful chunk of that, right? Not just what's left over, not what was in the couch cushions, but something that will actually cause them to have to alter their budget or maybe even change their kind of standard of living. Then all of a sudden you see kind of where the, where the, the real place is 
that money holds in our heart. And uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think even if you, not that I'm recommended doing this, there's better stuff to do, but even if you were to take your money out in the backyard and burn it, uh, like to do 10, just to say, God, this is me proven. This doesn't need to control me. And I trust you. I think there'd be value in that. But the fact that not only can you receive uh, the, the, the discipline, the, the discipleship benefits of giving, uh, but because God's called us as his church to be on mission together, we get to, to give that money, which is great for us, but we get to give it to stuff that literally changes the world and changes people, people's eternities. And we get to invest in stuff that will pay dividends literally forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine why, why people wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, and in, in CCO, we, we are privileged, blessed to be able to uh, live from the financial support of folks who believe in our work. And uh, uh, I'm sort of, you know, hesitant or, okay, are people into this? Are they still committed? And, uh, you know, I often say, thank you. I'm so grateful for your work. And I'm amazed because folks said, folks say, I feel privileged to be part of what's happening through uh, the work that God is doing through the movement on campus. Like they're, like you're saying, blessed through their giving. And uh, it, it's amazing to, to hear their gratitude in the midst of my gratitude for their generosity. Um, well, for all, for all the parishes and, and, and pastors, priests, and others who are, are listening, I know that giving is such a key element, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also one that we, we tend to, to veer away from. I know in our, our, our Divine Renovation Network, we've got a bunch of videos on giving. And I, I know also that, AJ, we're hoping that uh, Sheila, who's our producer, is hoping to bring you back sometime uh, in the next coming weeks to talk about this more specifically and to talk with, uh, with one of our partners out there, uh, an organization that helps uh, make giving happen. Anyways, all that to say, I'm going to pause us now, guys, because I'm excited to get Brett on. So we're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back with Brett Powell to talk about leadership and Jesus. Welcome back. And it's so great to have you along with us, Brett. I don't want to overstate uh, sort of your impact and your importance, but at the same time, I want to, I want to be fair to, to recognize and note uh, sort of the impact you've had in our ministry at Divine Renovation and also uh, St. Benedict Parish, where you've been actually a pivotal part of the story. Father James has often said uh, that you're one of, the, one of the handful of voices around leadership globally that really resonates with him and that he really connects with. And so it, it's such an honor to have you with us here on the podcast. So thank you for joining us, Brett. Hey, great to be here. And to be caught up in this wonderful movement, so privilege. <laughs> so look, uh, you know, there's another uh, leader that, that Father James is fond of. His name is Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> and anyways, there's a couple things that, you know, when we were talking before before today uh, with, with our team, that, you know, there's a couple things around the subtle lessons of leadership from Jesus that, that you thought you might help us zone in on and just to, to, to speak to. Uh, why, why don't you give us the first of those? Sure. Actually, what I'd like to do, Dan, I want to back up because the... The principal idea is actually not my own. The idea that we as church leaders have to find leadership sources beyond sort of the leadership gurus and chapters and Amazon and all that uh, first came to me through Jim Collins. Everybody's familiar with Jim Collins. Yeah, of course. Right? So and Jim is one of these guys that a lot of the people in the church and in nonprofit world really are you know, fans of, and he's had an, an incredible impact. So one of the books that he wrote was called Good to Great, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. And what was interesting is that when he, after he had wrote the book and he started to engage with audiences and, and that kind of thing, he was actually finding that almost half of his audience, the people that were really engaged with this content and material, were coming from the church world mm. and from the nonprofit space. 
And so, so much so that he actually wrote another monograph, is what he called it, called Good to Great for the Social Sectors. So I want to just read something from that, if I could. Please. That'd be all right to get us going. So this is the words of Jim Collins. And he said, we must reject the idea, well-intentioned but dead wrong, that the primary path to greatness in the social sectors, and I would say in the church, is to become more like a business. Most businesses, like most of anything else in life, fall somewhere between mediocre and good. When you compare great companies with good ones, many widely practiced norms turn out to be correlating with mediocrity, not greatness. So why then would we import these practices into the social sectors and into the church? So he, he was um, essentially reminding us that there is a call to greatness, first of all. It's not a call to be like a business or to be running like a corporation, but a call to greatness. And it was that word greatness that struck me mm. because Jesus talked about greatness. He actually spoke about it. Um, you remember the, the, uh, the gospel story when the sons of Zebedee, their mother, uh, she was the first helicopter mother, by the way. So she comes to <laughs> Jesus and she says, you know, I have a request of you that one of my sons, James, would sit on your one side and my other son would sit on the other. And he had this wonderful discourse with her. You have no idea what you're kind of asking and that kind of thing. And um, he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. But anyone who desires to be great must become a servant. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, in many ways summarizes so much of the wisdom that Jesus has for us. And it's all about motive. And there are train wrecks behind many leaders, corporate and in the church, whose motive is to advance their own agenda, their own reputation, their own personality, anything that is not um, in that spirit of, of selfless service and sacrifice. So if there's anything that we can learn from Jesus, really, it is that, that piece of motive. And we have to continually return to that that it ultimately is, why are we doing this? What is motivating the things that we do? And it has to be selflessness. It's not an easy thing though, is it? Like I think a lot of people, especially people who are drawn to leadership, would, would struggle with that very element. Yeah, I, I think it's it's challenging sometimes to, uh, to differentiate between what you're uh, trying to get someone to do uh, or what you're trying to lead someone towards that, is a thing that was in your head before it was in theirs, <laughs> mm. but that isn't necessarily something that's selfish or, or self-centered for you. It's, it's for their good or for the good of the mission or whatever. Um, but yeah, making sure that you're keeping that idea of here's what I want from people uh, in check, as opposed to here's what I want for people uh, is a, is an absolute challenge. And the, the more, uh, the more out of check your ego is uh, the more out of check your pride is the more likely you are to, to, to mess that up, to mess that up. Yeah. I love, I love the differentiation between, uh, the, the corporate world and the, and the church world. And, uh, you know, in the church world, it comes right down to influence. It's like all we got in the business world, you got salary, you got, you got employees, you got benefits, you got all this stuff. But so often in the, in the church world, especially dealing with, with a congregation or, or people on campus or parishioners, um, we're hoping for the best for them and we're inviting them to something, like you said, Brett, the greatness. And all we got is, is sort of pure 
leadership influence, um, mm. not much else. So it's a, it's a great differentiation to make and kind of hone in on that, that aspect. Brett, what would you say to, 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 to a pastor or, or a leader inside of a parish who, who might be struggling with this very element, who might be like, you know, maybe I am making this too much about me. Uh, mm. If we were in that conversation, what would you say to them? Yeah. If you're, if you're wondering that, there's probably a good chance there's an element of that in your life, Fair frankly. Enough, yeah. Now, and the reality is, and this is why um, we all need a savior. Like this is a, something that's in our nature. Okay, we have fallen nature. We just have to understand that. And within each one of us, there is weeds and there is wheat. There's things that is pure intentions and there's things that is fallen intentions. So all of us as leaders need to be continually you know, examining our own heart. I think though, as well, this also speaks to how important it is to have people as fellowship in your life. I mean, people that are like a Barnabas was to Paul, people that love you uh, and respect you, but are not enamored by your celebrity. You know, they can speak the unspoken to you and in your life when that needs to happen. So um, that, that would think would be a good, very, very important. But you know, what's interesting is one of the things that came to mind just recently here as we were talking about this like father james mallon everybody that's on this podcast they listen and they've read the books and everything but i can tell you that i would sit at his feet on many topics and i would learn every time he opens his mouth but i can tell you from personal experience where he has had the most impact was when i was on the phone with him and he shared with me and i asked him if i could share this he gave me the permission he shared with me the story of him essentially stepping down as pastor of St. Benedict's and the selfless act really that that was. And that to me, as far, like you talk about global impact and global imprint and footprint with, with divine renovation in the kingdom's mind and in God's eyes, I think that act of selfless service, allowing others to rise and being willing to let go was his greatest act of leadership to date. That's a bold statement, but I really believe it to be true because he went over anything that was selfish or impure or whatever, and he just sacrificed, laid his life down, you know, just as Jesus did. So it's, uh, I didn't expect to see uh, us get into a parallel, even from what we were sharing before uh, we brought you on, Brett, when we were talking about tithing and giving and, and just sort of the message of, of, you know, how we have to, we have to be willing to give in order to give space for Jesus to come in and, 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 you know, give back. And so there's, there's, there's something quite poignant, I think, in what you're saying, Brett. Yeah. To me, that, that idea of uh, always being willing to ask the kind of what's the right thing for the kingdom, what's the right thing for the team, uh, what's the right thing for the church, what's the right thing for the ministry, uh, that's always got to be front and center. And when you start asking what's best for me or what advances my career or what makes me look better, uh, you're, you're in dangerous territory, right? And, and, and there is that whole uh, selflessness thing. Right? I think of how uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, his definition of humility, it's not thinking uh, less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And, mm. and that idea of, of uh, you know, when it comes to those decisions or when it comes to who gets the credit, uh, or when it comes to whose name gets put on it, or when it comes to who this makes look good, or when it comes to even, you know, whose idea we choose to go with, um, not asking the, the, how does this make me look? How does, how do I look coming out of this? Will this advance me or whatever, but instead going, what's going to be the best thing 
for the team, what's going to be the best thing for the, the organization, the mission, ultimately what's going to be the best thing for the kingdom, uh, mm-hmm. what's going to help the kingdom move forward. And sometimes that is you getting out in front and leading the charge. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's you getting out of the way and, and being obscure and in the background and whatever else. And uh, I always say too, with, with leaders, uh, we should always take responsibility and give credit. Meaning if something goes wrong or if something's messed up or if something needs fixing, we take responsibility. It's not about this. I think there can be a false humility sometimes that's like, oh, I'm just here to serve. And I'm, which, which really interpreted means I don't want to be responsible for anything. I just want to be, you know, I want to be able to hang around the water cooler with you guys. Um, so you take responsibility, but then you give credit. Like your goal is always to make uh, first and foremost to give God the glory he's due. But even when you're talking about humanly, uh, to be given away as much credit, to be given away as much uh, kind of kudos as you can to other people on your team. And if you find yourself craving that too much, and if, especially if you find yourself engineering situations that will bring that to you, uh, I think you definitely, there's something sick going on in your heart. You know, I'd, I'd go back to the experience of Jim Collins again, because, and I don't know if you know this story of it, but when he set out to do, produce good to great, and he gathered his research team. He kind of mandated them to ignore leadership, like ignore the idea that leadership is a factor in taking a company from good to great. He said, I don't want to get caught up in leadership personality and in their charisma and all of that. And so his, his research team kind of set out with that agenda. And then one day, it was kind of funny as he told the story, but he, uh, his team sat him down in a chair and they kind of took some rope and you know set him into this chair so he couldn't get out. He's, what is this all about? And he said, look, you gave us the mandate to ignore leadership, but we can't. It's impossible. Leadership is definitely a factor that moves an organization from good to great, but it's a particular form of leadership, something he calls level five. And level five is essentially made up of two things. One is professional competence and and ability and skill and strategy and all those things that you need in leaders. But there's another dimension. And this was brought out through the corporate world, and it was humility that they have to have humility, that they are serving something bigger than themselves, bigger than their agenda and everything else. And it's just like you said, AJ, that definition of humility from C.S. Lewis is brilliant. Not thinking you know, less about yourself, that's largely false humility, but thinking of yourself less, like you're just caught up in something bigger. And that's a great invitation. Wow, I, I, it's um, let me push you forward here on on some of the ideas yeah. that you wanted to share, Brett. Just because there's there's a number of them, and I'm already sensing we're not going to have a chance to go through them all. But I, I want to yeah. give a space to them because I think they're they're so poignant. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, another thing I think, and by the way, like this learning leadership from Jesus is not complicated. It really means two things. It means spend, spending time in the Gospels, which is primarily where we see and and see his life as a leader and as a savior and everything else and prayer. It's not complex. It, it has to be simple. And when you study the gospels, one of the things that you quickly see is that Jesus had this kind of magnanimous approach to life. He had very broad spectrum of responses. You know, there's a statement that says, if you're a hammer, then everyone and everything is a nail. Well, that couldn't be said of Jesus because he met every single situation in the Gospels with perfection. His response was always perfect, but it wasn't following a repeatable script. And so uh, when you look at it and study it, you could sort of put the lens that on one end of the spectrum, his responses were very often tender, you know, just absolute compassion and tenderness. But at the same time, when you read the Gospels, 
on the other extreme is fierceness. You know, when you read his interactions with the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you serpents, you whitewashed tombs, who is going to save you from death and from damnation? I mean, these were strong words, but it's that ability to navigate each of those situations and to know what does this situation need? Because ultimately, Jesus and the writer of Hebrews said he was the express image of the invisible God. So every situation Jesus looked at as an opportunity to incarnate the Father's heart. And sometimes that's incredibly tender, but it can also be fierce. So this is a great invitation, I think, that, you know, sometimes we have this notion that Jesus is just all tenderness. He's like a deified Mr. Rogers. But in reality, he's (laughs) often like William Wallace or, you know, Maximus out of Gladiator. So uh, it's uh, what kind of what, what is your Jesus? <laughs> William Wallace all the way. <laughs> William Wallace. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even the kilt. <laughs> I'm working on having our Sunday school materials redrawn up at uh, Deepwater to put Jesus, get him out of that white robe with the blue sash, slap him in a kilt. Kilton, half half <laughs> half blue face. Yeah, oh yeah, the whole deal. The whole deal. <laughs> well, I, I, there's an element of uh, there's more than just an element of truth to, to what what I'm hearing you say, Brett. But I mean, I think the reality is we lean into the tender Jesus. Um, sort of that, that that's often our predisposition. Is and that's also I think in fairness to what you're saying, AJ, it's probably also what we kind of teach at Sunday school often is is yeah. that you know that's that that all love the, the love of Jesus, but you know Jesus and God is not just love, uh, but also justice, and and so there, there's a, there's both are at play in terms of 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 whom He is, right? Yeah, well, and I think that that idea of again we always associate or we tend to associate love with uh, what softness. Nice, you know, and and I think it's, you know, it's God's love. uh, And and as we see in Christ, his love is what drives him to flip over the tables uh, of the money changers. Right. His his love is what drives him uh, to call out these Pharisees because of a I think ultimately he wants the best for them. But he also sees the spiritual harm they're doing to the people who are looking to them uh, for leadership. Brett, I love what you said about. Uh, the, the the differences in Jesus' responses to people because I know uh, for me as as uh, the church I lead continues to grow, there's this impulse to to try to come up with uh, better systems and structures which you got to do those are important, but but that sometimes can can also turn into kind of a you want things that are easy to to replicate and are efficient and are uh, kind of standardized and, and to try to be more productive and. And uh, man, it's just such a great reminder that you can't mm. you can't just systematize people. You can't uh, you can't kind of set up an assembly line and just hope that you know our standard response or our standard methodology, our standard answer uh, to this, that, or the other thing is is what's going to work for them. That that part of that idea of uh, of uh, as Christ called us to right to be servants. He said, if you're going to be great, you got to serve. Um, is to be paying attention to the mm. person we're serving. Uh, as opposed to trying to, you know, force them into uh, an overly rigid kind of system or structure for the sake of efficiency. Yeah, it's personal. Yeah. Even that that element of fierceness and tenderness that you're talking about, Brett, and uh, in, in our parishes, in our kind of church worlds, giving given even feedback to people. Brett just wrote about it on his blog about performance evaluations. Um, so you can read about that on on uh, his blog. But he talks about like the, the more real time feedback, which, which is, in my mind, a combination of this tenderness and fearness. I mean, we in our, in our people, especially our, our leaders, those who are representing 
organizations or the church in a very specific way to, to bring um, encouragement, uh, tenderness, love, appreciation, gratitude for all their work. But at times to bring kind of, as you mentioned in your blog, Brett, like the, the uh, corrective, the, the tough word, of, of a little element of fierceness um, and that balance is so so key, even on the personal level, like you're saying. Being agent. willing to, some, to look someone in the eye and say, I love you too much to let you be bad at this. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> I love you too much. Or I, love the, I love the people we're trying to reach or the people we're trying to serve too much uh, to kind of leave things at this level when we, I know we could move further. It's hard and it's awkward, but I think especially when you're developing uh, leaders, leaders respond to that. Like eventually oh, they time. realize you can only, like uh, hugs are only going to get them so far. And <laughs> but, people who want to yeah. be their best and who want to uh, be the best they can be for the kingdom, uh, you know, as long as they understand it's coming from a place of care and love, they, yeah. they'll warm to that and they'll respond. But to it's that. rare, isn't it? Like, like, would you guys say, and Brett, from your vantage point too, like would maybe not annual reviews as you uh, outline in the blog, but um, that kind of feedback in, in the church world, that's mm-hmm. a rare thing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, it, and, it's, and it's unfortunate. And frankly, a lot of the times, I think the reason why it's rare is that we, we lack courage. You know, it's, uh, it's not easy. It's not hard. But one of the things, and this is a very practical point, whenever you start, quote unquote, leading somebody or managing them, before you have that first corrective thing, if you will, it's very important to tell them, I'm going to do this so that they're not surprised when it happens, you mm-hmm. know. But the, what, one of the things I think that I want to just elevate, just as I'm listening to you, and this, this is leadership wisdom from Jesus, is that leadership is always relational in nature, that mm-hmm. you can manage a lot of things, you can manage buildings, facilities, strategy, and all those, but ultimately, and this is the brilliance of Jesus, leadership is relationship. And sometimes when you're leading a big organization, or let's say you're leading a big church, how would your leadership differ if you were only leading one person in the congregation? Like literally, there's one person sitting in the pew. It would be highly relational. You would be so sure on every conversation that you have. Well, the reality is that's what you're doing. You're leading one person, but there's a hundred of them in the church. So every conversation still really matters the same as if there were only one. And that's how Jesus approached it. And that's where his brilliance comes from. He was fully present in the moment with every person that he interacted with. And that's why he always executed perfectly at the moment with exactly the grace needed. So for, for priests and, and, and pastors who might be listening, Brett, um, what kind of like, what would be some of the barriers? What would, what would stop them from recognizing that, that, that they're not in that kind of a relationship? What are some of the, what are some of the pitfalls that are, are precluding us from recognizing the relationships uh, that one-on-one relationship that we would might be having with the, with our parishioners? Yeah. I think one of the things I would suggest is that we have to um, evaluate where we're spending our time. Like at the end of a week, how much time did you have quality with a single person? Because if as a leader, we are always in teams or big group contexts or something, something's being lost. And you could tell me you're really busy. Well, study the Gospels because Jesus had a lot of one-on-one time and he's pretty occupied being the Savior of the world. So He's busy too, but it, it, it will tell us like, are we willing to go into those, into those spaces um, and have those conversations? We can't be so removed from that, 
we will lose something. Something is significantly lost in the ministry of a leader when he's always dealing with groups. You know, when he does not make space for one-on-one conversation with people, that's an absolute objective measurement. Have I spent that time with people individually? Yeah, well said. I mean, I've seen something real beautiful happen on some of our our teams on campuses is that um, they they, um, have kind of like accompaniment plans for their people. So their key leaders, they would would think, okay, um, Lord, what do you want me to do with, uh, this person in, in my relationship with them to bring them to the next level. So uh, we call it prophetic listening when in, in relationship, like you said, Brad, that's the foundation of, of everything. You're in relationship, authentic relationship with these people. And you listen and say, okay, Lord, where is this person? And then you have a great expectation for them. Father, what are you doing in their lives and their hearts um, right now? And then the third thing is, how, how can I be a part of that? How are you calling me to, to co-work with you in this person's life. It's, it's so personal. And there's just, yeah, I see these champions uh, on campus going through this with their, their key leaders and encouraging their leaders to do with their, their people. Where, where are they? What's, what's next for them? What's the next big thing? Uh, and how can I be a, a part of that? And yeah, it's so mm-hmm. personal, so uh, humble. They're, they're literally <laughs> meditating on the good of somebody, somebody else. And I see it. I'm amazed at, at how they they operate and and uh, encourage that in their teams and and operate in that that I'm struck that by way. what what how, how providential it is that Eric uh, you and, and AJ you are our two co-hosts today because both of you operate in spaces like this you, you both of your leaderships operate in in spaces that that these these principles really apply AJ in terms of, of deep water I mean you know the pair the, the church has done phenomenally in terms of its outreach and its growth and 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 sort of that you can feel the movement of the spirit when when you're there um, how do you, how do you create that connection with with people who attend? Like, what does it look like for you? Yeah, to me, I think uh, one of the one of the pitfalls uh, I have to watch in my own leadership is that I uh, I've got to make sure I'm not thinking about people in terms of positions, and I'm thinking about them in terms of potential. And I think when you begin to think about people in terms of positions, once they're in the position, uh, you can kind of check out on them. Hmm. Uh, right. Cause they're like, it's like, that's the finish line. Right. That's why I love about what you're saying is to go, you know, my job is not to get people into positions. My job is to help people reach their full potential uh, for, for God, their full potential in ministry, their full potential in their growth as a disciple. And so I've got to be uh, dialed in to them one-on-one. Now, obviously uh, I can't do that for every, that one-on-one thing for everyone in the church uh, you know, Jesus at best did the one-on-one thing with 12 people, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and one of them didn't work out real good. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I think uh, if if I can can build that and model that into the key leaders, which for me would be my staff and my board, uh, and then have them kind of uh, multiply that out uh, from there. But again, uh, yeah, I guess for, for me, the, the big question I've always got to be asking myself and the discipline I try to be in is when I look at those people in our congregation who, uh, who I have some kind of connection with because of a role they're in or just because I see that kind of potential in their life, mm. not just to be asking, uh, how do I you know, get them slotted in somewhere and then leave them, but to say, how do I kind of go on this journey with them, right? Mm. And, and so I want to be the one helping them find a place to serve, for example, but I also want to be the one who comes along and, and ask them to leave that and do something else sometimes, right? Yeah. And to and step it, into a different level or a different kind of, of leadership. And I think there's all there's a corporate element to this to, to 
balance as well, the, the one person at a time, like like you're bringing a con- congregation to a place, like at St. Benedict, they, they call it the pipeline. So, you know, we encourage people to bring, bring and invite people to Alpha. They take Alpha, they go on team, um, and then so on. So there's, there's definitely a pipeline, I think, um, um, so it balances and contrasts with with the one person at a time. It's a both and deal in my and it, mind. It must be interesting for you, Brett, because one of the one of the various hats you wear, and I think one of the ones that you know one of your primary roles is you're working for the Archdiocese of of Vancouver. Uh, so so you must see this also at the diocesan level in a way that perhaps the three of us wouldn't encounter as 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 in the course of our normal work. Right. Yeah. One of the things I would say, and picking up on something AJ said, I think it was brilliant is this idea that as leaders, one of our jobs is to recognize the potential of our people. Um, and even Jesus kind of manifested this and gave an example. Like he said to his disciples, you will do greater things than what you've seen me do. Mm-hmm. You know, he was speaking into that from the, from the beginning. And if as leaders, all we did was, you know, communicate to people their dignity, worth, and potential, and then release them with the fullness of the voice that they have for the world, we have done amazing things. Um, As a leader, one of my jobs is to just simply remove the obstacles for my people so that they can flourish, Hmm. right? To just, what can I do to serve this leader who has a voice, who's going to make an impact, and, uh, and do that? That's really what it comes down to. A leader's job is to remove obstacles so people can do amazing things in God's grace. Yeah, we often say that uh, leadership is the one gift that unleashes all the other gifts. Mm. And uh, I know, I know for me, you know, my dream for the the team I lead is uh, for 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 it to look like they don't need me. Uh, I want them to be able to do it without me, but I know they can't do it without me. Without me, if that makes sense, right? <laughs> that that there's something about like you talk about removing those yeah. obstacles and making sure they have the resources they need. And even sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's it's concrete skill development. And sometimes it's just uh, encouragement in the most literal sense of giving them the courage to go for it, like telling them you believe in them and you think they can do it. Uh, I love, you know, every time something great happens at Deepwater and I'm one of the last people to find out about it, I love that. Every time mm-hmm. there, there's some amazing thing that happens that I wasn't in the loop on, uh, I love that. And, and I want uh, to see our church come to the place where I... Uh, where people are honestly not 100% sure why I'm there, except for those people <laughs> in those senior leadership roles and that they're glad I am. Um, but yeah. man, yeah, like uh, to me, any if anytime you go into a church and uh, everything clearly ties back to the, the pastor or anytime you go into any organization and everything, every good thing was something they did and every good idea was one they had and every, man, that's just, that makes me nervous. Uh, and yeah. you become a bottleneck, right? Mm. Uh, you become yeah. a bottleneck and, and you become the the limiting factor on how much impact God uh, can can have through your church, and uh, so yeah, I, I love that uh, that idea of like my job is to make other people awesome. Like it's not my job mm. to be awesome. It's to, I want I want people to have I want the people on my team. I want people to have a higher view of my team than they do of me. Uh, I tell I tell my team this often, and I tell people who want to hire people from my team this often. I say you know offer them jobs, please offer them jobs. Um, I said, I don't, I don't want a team that other people don't want. Like I want people to want the kind of people that I have on my team. Uh, And if I have someone that no one else wants to hire, why in the world do I have them on my team? Right. (laughs) Right. And that's the thing. Like I want, I want to, to help develop uh, my team, my staff, my leaders. I want to help develop them to the place 
where not that this is the goal, but it's kind of an indicator where other people are looking and going, man, I wish they were on my team uh, as wow. opposed to just looking and saying like, Oh, AJ's good. You know what I mean? I want them to, to, to see my team as the big deal and to see uh, you know, what we do as a, as an organization. And the irony of that is uh, to what you were saying, Brett, that the way to do that is actually not to focus on the team as a team. Uh, but a lot of times it's to focus on the individual people and kind of mm-hmm. work with them to, to bring out their full potential. Yeah. The example that comes to mind out of the gospel, just as you were talking, AJ, is John the Baptist. So he had a pretty significant ministry going on and people were joining him and he was experiencing some of that celebrity status and all the rest. And then a couple of his disciples were, you know, called by Jesus to follow him. And his response was just so beautiful. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. Like if our people in a certain sense, turn their back on us, if you will, to pursue intimacy with Jesus and to pursue discipleship and whatever it is that he has in mind, we've won. Absolutely. This is not about people leaving. It's no, this is exactly Mm. what we should all want is our people to find Jesus and to find their voice in him and go scream and yell and sing that voice for the whole world to hear. Now for the record, none of them leave. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other thing I I like about it genuinely though, is it, it, it's, it is a good uh, internal check for me to know, like, I, I, you know, we try to pay fairly and all that kind of stuff. But part of the reason people work for me, I mean, in the most org charty sense, part of the, yeah. you know, the main reason they're working for me is, is really because of how I'm invested in them. Like they can get the paycheck somewhere else. Mm. Uh, mm. And so it's, it's a good kind of gut check thing for me too, to go like, mm. I want to be investing in them because that's that's ultimately the payoff uh, yeah. for them in terms of, you know, their development. And that's ultimately the payoff for me, because if I can raise up, I mean, again, back to the Jesus example, right? If I can get if I can find 12 people to invest in and 11 of them actually work out. I can change the world. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, and so, yeah, that idea of uh, seeing people as individuals and thinking mm-hmm. in terms of their potential, man, that's. That's awesome. I, I wish reminded, I, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Brad. I was just going to say, I'm reminded of some wisdom from Dallas Willard. And he said that the primary work of God is to find people in whom he can entrust his power. And I, I'm thinking of that because AJ, as you're talking about what, what is the power of God? Well, ultimately God works through people. So he's looking at what leaders can I entrust my people to who has my heart who will operate with the spirit of my son? And when he entrusts us with these people, man, do we have a privilege and an honor, a stewardship yeah. over them. And we'll be accountable, Absolutely. but we have a stewardship. That word yeah. stewardship, man, I'm, I'm so with you on that. I, that's a thing that I feel like God's been teaching me in this last season. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether you're talking about uh, staff members or whether you're talking about lost people coming to your church, that God's looking for who can faithfully steward those. Like, I don't think, yeah. I don't think that the, uh, that seeing a greater move of God in our churches, I don't think the holdup is with God. Uh, I don't think, you know, it's his, he's sitting in heaven somewhere going like, nah, let's let a few more, you know, pass into eternity without me. Like, I, I think he's looking for those who will be faithful. And so I know like, even in our, in our situation, we've been in a pretty serious growth season the last few years but we've actually done more uh, work to uh, to tighten up like our discipleship process and how we actually help people 
uh, be formed as followers of Jesus and how we help people grow in their faith. And we've done way more work in that area than we have in, like, we haven't done marketing. We haven't been pushing, you know, doing some big, come on Sunday, you know. But I think God's just going, oh, okay, they're ready. Like, they'll steward this. They can mm. they can handle this. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's that's so true that, that the people that God gives to us, uh, again, not to own but to serve, the people that God gives to us are are absolutely a stewardship and and uh, sort of to what I was saying earlier. Like we, I have people on my staff. I know like they're not going to retire from working with me. They're going to go do something else. And yeah. I want uh, I want to invest in them in ways that are going to pay off for the kingdom down the road. And mm-hmm. I do. I think absolutely. I'll I'll be answerable for that. So look, guys, I got to cut us off because I knew the time would go by fast. I mm-hmm. wish we had more time because I, this particular grouping of people is, is just, I, I just love what all of you are doing and, and the way that I see, the way I see each of you show your, your various leadership uh, gifts. It's just, it's so inspiring. Uh, Brett, uh, you've, you've been kind enough. You've been on our, um, you've been, you've been on leadership sessions. We've given to divine renovation network parishes. Uh, so for parishes who, who, uh, who are in the network, those are still available on our site. Uh, I was so excited that we were able to bring you here onto the podcast so other people could mm-hmm. get uh, exposed. To, to you and your style of leadership, but also your style of coaching and, and, and teaching, because honestly, you, you, you're, you're an inspiration in terms of what you're able to give. Uh, if people want to get more connected with you, there's obviously your blog, and that's at uh, brettpowell.org. Is that right? Correct. Yep, brettpowell.org. And then I guess the other thing, if people want to tune into this, uh, a good friend of mine who's a clinical counselor by profession have a podcast called The Way the Heart and uh, you can find that at wayoftheheartpodcast.com. Wonderful. It's, it's mainly for men. It's speaking to men, dads, leaders, um, but anybody can benefit. So just a little disclaimer there. That's so great. And if they want to visit you, they can come out to Vancouver and you're just, you'll, you'll be at the coffee shop. Is that? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Come well, for dinner at our house. Come for, there you go. An open invitation. Brett, do you know how big our audience is? <laughs> you, you might have, Not as but... big as his family. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God bless you, Brett. Thank you so much for, for right. joining us. I really do appreciate it. And if, if you've enjoyed uh, this brief conversation, do check out uh, Brett's website, his blog, and, and of course, the, the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. And we look forward to being with you again in the coming week. God bless. Pleasure. Thanks, guys.